And so, uh, so our teens have fun, right? So we're all going to do that after the service today. We've got, that was an advertisement. For, no. I know some of you are like, yes, let's do it. Hey, a couple of things before I jump into what I want to talk to you about. Um, I know that some of you are probably thinking and maybe turned to your neighbor and said, he asked us to fill these out. And then we can't write that fast, you know, especially if you're on the front row and maybe you didn't have a chance to get these filled out. If not, don't worry about it. There'll be a bucket on the back table and you can place those in, the, in that bucket on the way out and we'll make sure we get those. A couple of things that I, I do want to draw your attention to. If you, uh, we've been advertising our Connect Group launch, which uh, begins this week. And uh, we've had a great response to that. Most of the groups, I think, are filled up. We do have at least one group I know who still has some space in it. And so uh, if you have any interest at all and would like to get plugged in, there's still time to do that. And so uh, if you want to either mark your Connect card or if you already turned that in, contact the church office and we'll make sure that, that you get connected with a Connect group. And then the other thing is if you signed up for our First Impressions lunch, there's a luncheon that's going to be taking place immediately after the service. And this uh, First Impressions is our ministry that uh, covers our, our ushers and our greeters and our coffee team and friendship team and several of those teams. And so if you're involved in that, we're going to be doing some training. But then also, if, you, if you've always like, wanted to get plugged in somewhere, this is a great way to do that and place to do that. So come join us. And, and even if you don't want to get plugged in, we'll feed you. So, uh, and then maybe we'll twist your arm and you get plugged anyway, in anyway. So uh, join us. We'll have a meal over in room 101. And so we'd love to have you join us for that. Well, we're going to wrap up our, our Dangerous Prayers series this morning. Of course, over the past several weeks, uh, we've been looking at a number of different prayers that are intended to help us grow in our own personal prayer life. We all need to continue to grow in our, our prayer life, right? All of us have room to go, grow. That's one of the things that we all have in common is we all can continue to grow when it comes to the area of prayer. And so these prayers have been intended to help us to, to do that, to grow. In fact, if you missed any of the past several weeks, um, you can go to our Connecting Point app or you can go to our website, and, uh, and you can catch up on any of those. We archive all of our services, and you can watch those live. We have a great tech team who has worked really hard at helping us develop that, and so they make sure that all of those are available, and we encourage you to take uh, advantage of that. Laura and I actually uh, watched the service from last week. Of course, we were out of town, uh, which, which, by the way, that, that guy who spoke last week, he, he did all right, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got a ways to go, but he might make it as a preacher. So thank you. Thank you, Pastor, Pastor Dad. I can't, it's hard for me to call him Pastor Jack. Pastor Dad for filling in while I was gone. I heard great things from last week, and, and we enjoyed watching it online. Uh, well, the prayer that we're going to wrap up with this morning is a prayer that's found in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 6. And if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, either the kind that you open or the kind that you turn on, uh, we invite you to do that, uh, however, however you do that. But let's go to Isaiah, chapter 6. And I want to begin reading with verse 1. In Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, and we'll have this up on the screen as well, but it says, In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him there were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory." At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, and this is our prayer for this week, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Father, this morning, 
We pray that you would open your word to us, that you'd help us to hear from you. We really need to hear from you. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts, meet us right where we're at, help us to become more like you. So we just give this time to you today in Jesus' name, amen. I love this passage of Scripture. I, I think it's very interesting. Of course, in it, Isaiah is telling of this experience that he has where somehow, supernaturally, he is transported through a vision into the very throne room of heaven. And, and all of a sudden, Isaiah, in the throne room, he finds himself in the very presence of God. Can you imagine that? I mean, here he is. He's in the presence of God. And in God's presence, Isaiah sees a number of things or experiences a number of things that are taking place, and I want to focus on just a few of them this morning. We're not going to have time to focus on all of them, but there's, there's just a, a few of them I want to focus on this morning. The first thing that is actually revealed um, is revealed at the end of the passage, and so I want to start at the end, and we'll kind of work our way backwards, but the first thing is... That, that is revealed is apparently God has some sort of message that he wants to deliver to his people. And the problem is that he has the message, he just hasn't found anybody who is willing to deliver it. And so Isaiah is there, and so I guess, I don't know, I don't know, maybe Isaiah figured, well, I guess I'm the only one here other than these winged things that are flying around, and so rather than them, maybe it's supposed to be me. So he says, here I am. Send me? You know, maybe, maybe it's me that you want to send. Now, I, I think it's kind of funny um, in, in because prior to, to volunteering, Isaiah submits probably what is the worst resume for spokesman that anybody could ever present, right? Because he, here he is, in, in verse 5, Isaiah says, in the presence of God, confronted with the holiness of God, I'm a man with unclean lips, and I live amongst the people with unclean lips. The Good News translation says it like this. It says, every word that passes from my lips is sinful, and I live among a people whose every word is sinful. And yet Isaiah is saying, hey, you want somebody to deliver the message. You want your word to pass through somebody's lips. Here I am. Send me. In other words, you know, it's almost as if... He, he, it's, it's almost like, God, if you're looking for someone as a spokesman, this guy, Isaiah, my, my lips are unclean. I live amongst the people whose lips are unclean. He, he's a guy who's not qualified for this assignment. And I don't know, maybe there are some here this morning, and that's exactly how you feel when you even think about the possibility of God using you in some sort of a way. You know, when you think about, could God send me, the first thing that comes to your mind is like, wow, God, um, you know, you, you could never use me. I mean, I, I'm, 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 look at all my past choices. Look at the decisions that I've made. Look at the life that I've lived. I mean, God, God, he might be able to choose one of you, but surely he could never choose me. I'm not good enough. I mean, I don't know enough. I haven't been a follower of Jesus long enough. There, there are all kinds of I'm not enoughs or excuses that we could use. Listen, if that's you at all this morning, if you recognize that you're imperfect, can I just tell you this? According to the pattern of the Bible, you are the perfect person for God to use. According to the pattern of Scripture, it's true. If you look throughout Scripture, what you'll find is Scripture is full of story after story after story of God choosing to use imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. God works through imperfect people. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah, none of the perfect people said amen, only the imperfect people, right? Yeah, God works through imperfect people. There's this pattern. If you look through Scripture, there's this pattern that takes place nearly in every story of Scripture. And the pattern is this. God will come and he'll call someone for a specific purpose. And when he calls them, they're like, um, um, God, I think you might have the wrong guy. I think you might have the wrong gal. And then they begin to list all of the reasons why they aren't qualified to do what God has called them to do. They begin to list all of their weaknesses. And every time God is like, listen, I already know your resume. 
I'm God. I already know your resume. I already know your weaknesses. But what you need to understand is that whenever I call somebody to do something, I am not looking for perfect people. I'm not even looking for strong people. What I'm looking for are willing people. People who understand that they're weak. People who understand their shortcomings. People understand that they're not qualified, but people who are willing to allow my strength to be made perfect in their weakness. People who allow me to accomplish something through them that they would never, ever, ever be able to accomplish on their own. Those are the kinds of people that I'm looking for. And so those are the kinds or the types of people that God uses in great ways. Time after time after time through the Bible, I mean, you can go through it from beginning to end. You know, beginning in Genesis, God calls Abraham, and Abraham says, uh, or God says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a nation. And Abraham's like, um, God, you know how old I am, right? I think that ship has sailed a long time ago. I think you've got the wrong guy. And God says, Abraham. I don't, I don't care what you're capable of doing physically. All I care about is what I can do through you. God, God calls um, Moses to be the deliverer of his children. And, and Moses is like, no, 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 not me. I, 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 I can't talk. And God is like, Moses, you're my guy. I, I don't care what your limitations are. I don't care what you can do. I just want you and my people to experience what I can do. This is the story over and over and over through Scripture. God calls unqualified people to accomplish extraordinary things. God calls Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, I'm too young. He calls Esther, and she's afraid. He calls Mary to be the mother of the Messiah, and Mary's like, wait a second, I'm a virgin. Things don't connect here, God. And God says, I don't care about that. This is the story of Scripture. It's the story of the Bible. God calling his people, ordinary people, to do extraordinary things. That's the story of the Bible. Well, guess what? Their story is our story. This is an ongoing story. Their story is our story because the reality is there has never, ever, 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 ever been a person on this planet who is qualified to do what God calls them to do. You see, on our own, none of us are qualified. And so maybe that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, reminds us, he says, brothers and sisters, think about what you were when you were called. Think about what you were. Not, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of you were noble by birth. In other words, Paul is saying, don't forget. When God called you, when he issued the call, you weren't qualified. None of you were. But then verse 27, he goes on to say, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that God could get the credit. So, so verse 29, so that no one may boast before him. In other words, when people look and see what God is doing through ordinary, regular people, God, God doesn't want them to go, well, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, look at them. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Sure, they're going to be able to do that. Instead, he wants people to go, wow, look what God has done. And if God can use somebody like that, then maybe he can use somebody like me. So listen. When, when God calls you to do something, it doesn't matter what your excuse is. We all have them. Because, because God is like, listen, your excuse may be the reason that I picked you. The reason that you're not qualified may be the very reason that I've chosen you. Because your excuse is what will keep you from taking credit when I do what I'm about to do. I think when God calls us, one of the most common excuses that we all deal with is, 
fear. God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, God. You know, what if I step out and you don't come through? What if I didn't really hear your voice? What if this is me and not you? Well, what if I go ahead and do what I think you want me to do and I wind up looking like a fool? I'm afraid of what people will think of me. Fear keeps us from stepping out and doing what God wants us to do. Listen, one of the things that I've learned in life is that when God calls us to do something, we're all pretty much afraid. I mean, that's universal. When God calls us to do something, everybody has to deal with fear. I mean, come on, you don't think I get afraid sometimes? Of course I do. There are times when I think, God, what in the world am I doing trying to lead a church? Why would you call somebody like me? Did you really know what you were doing when you did this? I mean, are, are you sure that you knew what you were doing when you called me? Because when I look at the responsibility, when I think about the future, when, when I'm confronted with the challenges, sometimes I'm, I'm like, God, I don't have what it takes to lead a group of people into the future. I don't have what it takes to be able to, to take a group of people and lead them where you want them to go, especially when sometimes some of them don't want to go. <laughs> some of them aren't convinced they want to go yet. And so, God, why did you choose me for this? So trust me, I understand fear. But what I've also learned is that when I'm willing to press beyond the fear, when I acknowledge the reality, you know what, it's true. I don't have what it takes. When I don't pretend like I do. When I acknowledge the reality, I don't have what it takes. And when I walk in a greater reality, <laughs> that he who is in me is greater than the weaknesses that are in me. <laughs> That the, the one who exists in me, when I remember that God has given me the authority over fear, and I make the determination, you know what, I'm going to be obedient rather than respond to fear. I'm going to respond to what God wants me to do rather than what my flesh wants me to do because of fear. When I am able to do that, and I don't always do it perfectly, but when I do, when I do, what I have discovered is that the peace of God begins to enter in to my heart and into my mind. And where the peace of God is, fear cannot exist. The peace of God casts out fear. <laughs> Listen, folks, my point is this. We can't, we can't allow our human limitations because we all have them. We can't allow our human limitations. We can't allow fear or any other excuse to keep us from saying yes to whatever it is that God calls us to do. The, the, the bottom line is, if you think you're not qualified, you're right. But like the old saying goes, God never calls the qualified but instead, he qualifies the call. When we say, yes, God will provide for us what we need, this is, this is this life of faith that we live, where we just say yes to Jesus, and then we trust that he's going to provide for us whatever it is that we need in order to accomplish whatever it is he called us to do. Well, the second thing I want to draw your attention to is Isaiah is experiencing the, the throne room of God we're told that there are these angelic beings called seraphim, and they got six wings, and two wings are doing one thing, and two are doing another, and two, I can't even have my hands do opposite things. I don't know how they're doing this. But, 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 but these, these, these seraphim, these angelic beings, Isaiah witnesses them, and they're constantly surrounding the throne, and they are calling out to each other. And I want you to notice what they're saying. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. In other words, these angelic beings, their existence, while they're there, they are in this constant state of worship before the throne, constantly surrounding the throne, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And so if you get tired of us when we sing worship uh, choruses over and over and over again, heaven's going to be kind of rough. Because you're going to hear this over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But did you know that one of the things that is constantly taking place in heaven is persistent, endless worship, continual worship in heaven. And in fact, the throne room of God in his throne room right now as we speak, as I'm talking to you and as you're listening to me, right now in heaven there is worship going on before the Father. There is worship taking place before the Father as we speak. Why is that? I can't help believe, but there is, there, there is something about being in the presence of God that the natural response of any living being in God's presence, the natural response is simply to worship. The, the response in the, hev- in, in the heavenlies, the response before the Father is simply to worship. In other words, anytime, anyone, or anything, any living being. In fact, Scripture tells us that if we don't worship, the rocks will cry out. So apparently, even inanimate objects, the response is before the Father, the natural response is simply to worship. Can I tell you if that's true? I think the flip side of that is true as well is there is something about our worship. If, if the natural response in the presence of the Father is to worship, then the natural response of the Father is wherever there wor- there's worship for him to be in that place. There, there is something about worship that invokes the presence of God. This is one of the reasons why, folks, we, we, we're really trying to put a strong emphasis on worship here at Connecting Point. Of course, you know, we, we know this and we've talked about this before, but it's worth saying again, we, we know that true worship is more than just the songs that we sing, right? Worship is more than that. I mean, we can sing the songs and still not be worshiping. And we can worship in other places and other ways, and, and so worship is way more than just singing the songs. It, it certainly is one of the ways that we worship. But when we talk about genuine worship, what we're talking about, I'll just give you a really simple definition that what we're talking about when we talk about worship is we're talking about the priority and the focus that we place upon God regardless of where we are or what we're doing. Worship is the priority that we give to God. In other words, any time, any time, that we allow anything else to become our priority, then we cease to be worshiping God. Because worship is our priority. But, but it's also the focus that we place upon God. And so in order to worship God, in order to truly worship Him, we have to give Him our full attention. I mentioned this a second ago, but one of the ways, and it's certainly not the only way, but one of the ways we express worship is through singing worshipful songs together. There's something about, I mean, the way we were wired, there's something about music that that touches the human emotion. And God created our emotions. It touches our soul. And there's a special gift that God gives to certain individuals to be able to take melodies and words and put them together to articulate who the Father is and how we we feel and how we respond to the Father. And so there's something special when we sing those songs together. And that that certainly, when we think about worship, that tends to be one of the most common things we think about. So I want to talk specifically about that for just a moment. In In my theology... In my view, the the time that we set aside and we dedicate at the beginning of our service is extremely important. We we, we need to understand this, that that this, this time that we spend together, singing together at the start of the service, it's not just the prelude to something better. It's not just the prelude to the sermon. Neither is it something that we do for our own taste our own enjoyment. This past week, I was directed to a quote by Francis Chan. Many of you know him. Uh, and if you know him personally, I'd like to know you, but no. <laughs> but, but Francis Chan, uh, there was this quote that I was directed to. Somebody came up to him one time after a service and um, said, you know, um, I really didn't like or enjoy the songs we sang in worship today. 
And Francis Chan's response to him was classic. I said him. It may have been a woman. I'm, I, it was probably a man. But uh, Francis Chan's response was perfect. He said, that's fine. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> yeah. We need to remember that, folks. We, 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 we need to remember that when we worship, although we gain something from it, there's something that happens because you can't be in the presence of God without being affected. But when we worship, it's not for us. It's purely for him. It's about focusing our attention on Jesus. It's about giving him priority. It's about recognizing him for who he is. It's about, it's about our presenting ourselves before him and saying, you know what? You are our God and we are your people and we need to be in your presence. We need you. We need you. It's about saying, this is your time, God. And as your people, we are giving you permission to do whatever you want with us. This is your time. We're your people. Do what you want. So when we worship, as your pastor, I want us to be all in. There's just too much at stake. When we worship, my desire is that we would have the freedom to genuinely, fully worship God with everything that we have. In fact, the last thing in the world I ever want to be is a church that just kind of halfway worships God. Because here's the reality. Halfway worship, in all actuality, is really no worship at all. In fact, I'm convinced that halfway worship breaks the heart of a God who is willing to go all the way for us. This environment of praise and worship, it's so important because it's actually the catalyst. According to this passage of Scripture, it's actually part of the catalyst that fuels the mission of God. I believe this with all of my heart that an environment of worship is so important because one of the key things it does is it serves to fuel the mission of God. In fact, one pastor said it like this, and I agree with this wholeheartedly. He said, great worship inflames mission. Mission ignites generosity. In other words, in other, when, there's, when, there's, when there's great worship and we're in the presence of God, the only thing that we, can happen as a result of that, when we fully embrace who God is, we embrace his mission. When we embrace his mission, it ought to launch us. It ignites and inflames something within us. And when, when that inflames something within us and we're participating in the mission of God and lives are being changed, then all of a sudden that, that, that ignites generosity within us. Why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we want to give of our time, our talents, and our treasure to genuine life transformation, the mission of God. And so great worship inflames mission. Mission ignites generosity. And then he says generosity fuels the church. Listen, folks, we live in the same world that everybody else lives in. And it requires the same resources to see the church run that every other, every other entity in, on this planet requires. It requires the generosity of people giving of their time, their talents, and their treasure. But, but, but when we're in the presence of God, when we're worshiping God and we see his mission, we embrace his mission, we're fueled into mission, we're launched into mission, lives begin to be transformed, people begin to get generous, then all of a sudden the church is able to operate the way the church was intended to operate. Because folks, his pastor goes on to say that the church is the vehicle that God has chosen to change the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And it begins with worship, embracing mission, which inspires generosity, which enables the church to do the work of the church, which is the hope of the world. So worship, man, it's important. It's way more than just singing a few songs. And so when we have this atmosphere of genuine, genuine worship, and when the presence of God enters into our worship service, if we're spending time in the presence of God, I'm telling you, it is that presence that is intended to propel us and to launch us out into the world. 
And our mission, our mission is pretty simple. Our mission revolves 100% around living in and inviting others to live in the presence of God. Our mission is about living in the presence of Jesus day by day, moment by moment, and then inviting other people to experience what we've experienced. Now listen, if what I'm saying is true, that that worship is enjoying the presence of God, And if that's what fuels the mission forward, then I want to just challenge us a little bit here this morning. I'm I'm going to warn you, I'm just going to push a little bit. If genuine wholehearted worship fuels the mission forward, then is it possible that half-hearted, unengaged worship actually hinders the mission of God. I want you to think about that for a second. What if, what if, what if skipping out on worship or coming in late to worship actually hinders the mission of God for his people? I know it's getting personal now, right? But think about this. If it's true that our mission is all about being in the presence of Jesus, which only happens through wholehearted, fully engaged worship, uh, according to the Bible, the way that we enter into his gates, the way that we enter into his courts is through praise and worship, right? So if getting into his presence is through the vehicle of worship, what if that that, that when we're disengaged, half-interested, tweeting or texting during worship, thinking about where we're going to eat after the service, you know, reliving if Stanley Morgan would have only caught that touchdown pass yesterday. (laughs) Half-interested. Lack of awareness of the presence of God. Not engaged in, in true praise of God because our minds are someplace else. What if that actually hinders God's mission for his church? Friends, I don't know about you, but I don't want any part of that. Personally, I I don't want half-hearted worship. I don't don't want to be engaged in half-hearted worship. I I don't want to do that. I don't want to be half-hearted for the one who sacrificed wholeheartedly for me. How could we? That I want to be a part of changing the environment and atmosphere so that this place becomes a place where God is constantly honored and elevated and welcomed. And then as a result of simply being in his presence, we become a people who are launched into mission. Listen, and please don't take me wrong on this. I love you guys. I I do. But I don't come here every Sunday just to spend time in your presence. But the reason I come week after week after week is because I long to lead us collectively into an encounter with the the star-breathing, ocean-making, mountain-moving, storm-calming, life-giving maker of the universe. (laughs) We get to be in his presence. And I think about this. I think about, you know, if I were to announce in three weeks that Scott Frost was going to be our speaker and he would stand, he would stand up here and he would share about what's going on in Husker Nation, man, this place would be packed full of people, even the spit zone. And people would be here an hour early. And I love Scott Frost and I'm glad he's here. But he's no Jesus. We get the opportunity when we gather together to come into the presence of Jesus. And I think we forget that sometimes. You know, don't, don't, don't get me wrong, you know. I mean, it's good to see each other. And I, I, love, I love seeing you guys. But, but if, if all we do, if the only reason that we're here is to see each other, let's just go to Dairy Queen. Get some ice cream, you know. It's good to see each other, and we need that. But folks, we need more than that. 
If we even have a chance of being the people, individually and collectively, if we have a, even have a chance of being the people that God created us to be, we must experience the manifest presence of the living God. Over and over and over continually in our lives. We need to be, we need to be a people who are not just accustomed to, but we become so desperate to be in his presence. So when we worship, first of all, let's show up. Let's show up, and then, and then let's, let's worship God with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our mind and all of our strength. If we do that, we might be surprised what happens. Jesus said that if I would be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Let's lift him up. For Isaiah, as this, this worship is taking place, we're told that the heavens actually shook. And as a result of this shaking, not only was there a mission that was given, but there was this desire that began to develop within Isaiah. There was this awakening that took place for him to be a part of that mission. And so let's make worship a priority and let's, then let's become willing to be sent. The last thing I want to draw your attention to, I, I want you to notice that as the seraphim were worshiping, I want you to notice how they're worshiping. I read this a few minutes ago, but verse 3 says that they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Continually, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Let, let's not miss what their emphasis is. I mean, if you think about it, these seraphim, they, they could have been saying anything about God. They, they could have been calling out to each other, powerful, powerful, powerful is the Lord Almighty. And that would have been true, and it would have been worship. They, they could have cried out, all-knowing, all-knowing, all-knowing is the Lord Almighty. And that would have been true. There are an infinite number of things they could have said, but their focus is on the holiness of God. Now, now I want you to think about what I'm going to say here for just a second. We are a holiness people. We believe in holiness. But I am convinced that any form of holiness that does not produce mission really is no holiness at all. In fact, I want to say that again. Any form of holiness that doesn't produce mission is really no holiness at all. In other words, holiness is more than just me being empowered to stay away from sin. That, 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 that certainly is a part of it. But, but when, when you begin pursuing holiness, one of the things that should happen is that you begin to develop a, que a, a keen awareness of the brokenness that exists around you. <laughs> As, as through the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to restore your life and heal the brokenness within you, then there should be this keen awareness that is beginning to be developed of all the brokenness that exists in the people that are around you. And, and holiness, if it's genuine, rather than being, becoming judgmental and developing an attitude that says, you know what, I'm so glad I'm not one of them. I'm so glad that I don't live like they live. Instead, genuine holiness, which ultimately, if you break it down to its bare minimum, holiness is simply allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to develop the character of Jesus within us, becoming more like Jesus. And so if, if we begin to do that, rather than, than developing this, this, this spirit of superiority, Instead, true holiness produces a deep sorrow for the brokenness and the sin that we see around us. Jesus' heart was broken for the lives of the people that he came in contact with. And, and that brokenness that exists within us because of the Holy Spirit living within us, it ought to cause us not to judge, but rather it should cause us to become more like Jesus. Jesus. 
to be broken over, to intercede for, to reach out to those who are imprisoned by sin. That's our mission because that was Jesus' mission, right? I mean, that was his mission. Genuine holiness will always fuel that mission. Genuine holiness will always be living in a posture that says, God, I know that there's a world full of broken people. I know that there are people all around me who desperately need to encounter your love. I know that you're looking for people who are willing to bring your love to them. So here am I. Send me. That's holiness. Folks, what if, what if right now there's somebody in your neighborhood, somebody that you work with, who, who you may not see it on the outside, but they are absolutely desperate for an encounter with the love of Jesus. What, what, what if the only thing between them and an encounter with the love of Jesus is you being willing to say, here am I. Send me. What if right now that God in his throne room is asking the question, he sees your neighbor, he sees your coworker, and he sees their brokenness, and his spirit has been at work within them, drawing them to himself, and he's asking the question, who will go? And he's just waiting for somebody to say, here I am, send me. I'm telling you, if even a handful of us would be willing to pray that prayer this morning, God, here I am. All my faults, all my weaknesses, I know I'm totally unqualified. And to be honest, I'm scared to death. But I'm willing. And so here I am. If you want to, you have permission, send me. Man, I believe that if there were just even a few of us that would genuinely pray that prayer, I believe with all my heart that is a prayer that God cannot resist because that's his heart. That's his mission. He's in the sending business. I mean, my goodness, God sent his son. When his son came, he sent out the 12, then he sent the 72, and then before he left, he told all the rest of us that our mission was to go, right? Not, not, he, said, he said, your mission, here's your mission. I'm sending you, so go into the, all, the, all the world, make disciples. The church isn't about, don't, don't just come and sit in a pew and call yourself a church, or if you're really fancy, you got chairs. <laughs> our, 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 our call is to be sent. We're to go, and wherever we go, because really the passage says, in your going, wherever you go, Carry the good news of who Jesus is with you. That's his mission. And friends, it's supposed to be ours as well. And so I believe with all of my heart that if we would pray that prayer, God, here I am, send me. I believe that God would immediately begin to open some doors with our neighbors, with our, 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 our place of work, our, our, our co-workers, our, 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 our classmates in our school. I mean, if, if you pray that prayer, I believe that God would be like, okay, man, I've just been waiting for you to pray this. Now, I want to explain to you why I gave you that job at Target. Now, the, the reason I put you there is because every day there are people that you work with, customers you come in contact with whose lives are broken and they're looking for a solution. And so strategically, I did this on purpose. I put you there not just to earn a paycheck. That's the bonus. I put you there to care for them, to love them, to pray for them, and to be bold when the opportunity arises and to share me with them. That's why you're there. And God, I believe that God is saying, I've just been waiting for you to recognize what my mission is and for you to respond by saying, God, here I am. Send me. If you can use somebody like me, I'm available.
I really believe that. I believe that God wants to show you why you are where you are. You may be totally unhappy where you are. Maybe it's because you don't know you're where you're, why you're where you're at or something like that. You know, you know what I'm saying. If you knew why you were there, maybe that sense of fulfillment would be a little different. There may be some here this morning, and if you pray this prayer, God, here am I, send me. God may just open a ministry up for you right here at Connecting Point. I believe this with all my heart, that God is just waiting for some of us to become willing to move from being just a consumer of the church to becoming a part of the ministry within the life of the church. If you just pray this prayer, God, here I am, send me. I believe that for some of you, God is going to speak to you and he'll stir your heart and he'll say, okay, see, I placed you in this church for a reason. I put you in this body to help it function like a body. And so let's get plugged in somewhere. Let's get plugged into youth ministry or children's ministry. Or I want you to become an usher or a greeter so that when I draw people to this place, you can help them feel as comfortable and as loved and as accepted as you do. How about rather than just receiving that, now you become a conveyor of it where you're receiving but it's flowing through you. If you pray that prayer, maybe, maybe the place that God will send you is to our coffee team, you know? Did, did you know that there are individuals who get here early on Sunday mornings and their ministry to the body is simply to make coffee so that when everybody else comes, they've got a warm cup of coffee to hold in their hands? Some of you thought little fairies did that, you know? They're actually people who, who come and that's their ministry, this is their way of giving back to the church. This is where they feel sent. And there are so many opportunities where God might want to send you, you know. There's a, there's a team that comes in, and this morning when I came in, there was an individual here before me, and they were going through the rows, and they were straightening the chairs, and they were making sure everything was in place. There were pins in the seat backs and all of those things. And that was their ministry. Maybe God would call you to be a part of that ministry. Maybe there, there, there's, there's a meal ministry that we're in the process of developing so that we can help out when people need meals. There, there's our, our connect group ministry. Maybe God is calling you to host a group or lead a group in one of your homes. There, there are so many opportunities. And the workers are few. And so the Lord says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send those to do the work that needs to be done. I wonder who will respond by simply saying, God, there's work that needs to be done, so here I am. Send me. I want to invite the band to come and help us as we close out this morning. If you're here this morning and you're willing, that's really all that God is looking for is willingness. If you're here this morning and you're willing to open yourself up and to pray this dangerous prayer. Because if you, I'm gonna, I'll just tell you this up front. If you pray, send me, God's going to send you. <laughs> I don't know where. I don't know to what. I just know he will. And so if you're willing to open yourself up and pray this dangerous prayer, what you ought to do, but if you're serious, if you're willing to say, God, I have no idea what that looks like, but I want to be a part of what you're doing right here through the ministry of Connecting Point. I want to be a part of what you're doing at my workplace. I want to be a part of how you're moving in my neighborhood. I want to be a part of how you're moving in my community. I want to be a part of whatever you're doing. And so here I am. Send me. If you're willing to pray that prayer, I want to pray for you. Would you just stand up this morning? I want to pray for you. Stand up. If you're willing to say, God, here I am. I'm willing. Send me. Father, this morning, here we are, all over this place. And as your body, we're coming into agreement 
We're, we're coming into agreement with you. We believe that you have a mission for your church, for us. We want to be a part of it. We, we want to be the kind of people who will worship you with all that we have, with, with reckless abandon, that we will give you the priority and focus that you deserve, that we would just cast ourselves before you and we would say, you are a holy God and we are your people. And so we worship you and we want to be a part of your mission. Lord, I don't know what that looks like. I'm, just, I'm still trying to discover what it looks like for me. <laughs> day by day, moment by moment, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? Who do you want me to interact with? And so, Lord, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm just trying to stay in contact with you. So I don't know what it means for everybody that's standing here this morning, but you certainly do. And Father, there's a group of people here that just absolutely love you. They want to be a part of, of your mission, of, of what you're doing in this world. So this morning, as we stand together and we say, Lord, we know we're not qualified. We know we don't have what it takes. But we are available. And we believe that wherever you send us, you will, not, you will also send whatever resources that we need in order to accomplish your good and perfect will. And so here we are, Lord. Send us. Send us, Lord. And may the result of your sending, the result of our going, be that lives are transformed, that brokenness is healed, that people feel loved and accepted and valued, that individuals know that there's a God in heaven who not only exists, but he longs to have an intimate relationship with each and every person. And so may your kingdom be established. There's so many broken kingdoms in this world, Lord. We just want to be a part of yours. We want to be a part of bringing your kingdom into this broken planet. And so send us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.